I'm Jill Shaw, and this is Catalyst for Change, brought to you by the Shaw Family Foundation. My guest today is Latoya Gale, a social entrepreneur, advocate, and racial equity strategist. She previously served as the founding executive director for Boston School Finder, and she co-founded March Like a Mother for Black Lives this year in response to the racial, social injustices that occur in our country. Latoya is currently planning to launch Liberation Lab, a civic innovation lab that will support families and communities in building and sustaining bases of power through civic engagement and leadership development. Latoya says that education needs to be considered a social determinant of health and Liberation Lab will be working on correcting the underlying mechanisms of health and wellness that harm those who are underserved by education in America. It's great to have you here. I, I can't think of a better time to have this conversation, actually. Oh. I mean, literally, it's noon. It's yes. January 21st, 2021. And Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have just been sworn into office as president and vice president as we're going to have this conversation. And for the first time ever, there's a woman and a woman of color partnering to lead and govern this country. How do you feel it's, right now? Oh, my. I'm a... I'm elated. I'm elated. I, uh, I don't know. It's, I, I just can't believe it. Um, I'm, I'm so excited about the next four years for this country. I'm excited about the next four weeks for this country. So um, yeah. So make you hopeful. It, it does make me hopeful. Yeah. It does make, I feel like it was a really dark time uh, for a while here. Um, it does make me hopeful. And um I'm hoping that people realize that we still have to be vigilant in our hopefulness um, with yeah. this, but I am hopeful and it's a great day and I want to just live in this moment for now. <laughs> I, I know, right? I feel like yeah. the last four years have felt like the opposite of being on a trampoline. Like yeah. everything that you tried to, you know, create momentum around you just landed hard and flat. Yeah. And now there's almost this like amazing cushion that, yeah. You know, We'll be able to take advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's a it's a new day and a new dawn for you too. Yeah. You, you're launching a new venture, and I want to talk about that. But mm -hmm. before we talk about that, I want people to know more about you. And so, can okay. you talk a little bit about who you are and, and your path and um, and your last role, which is was as founding executive director of the Boston School Finder? Yes. Yes. So. Um, when I think about my path, um, I think I'm the youngest of seven in my family. It's it's all girls and there's a big age gap between us. So number six, because I give my sisters numbers, number six is, <laughs> is 15 years older than me. And that's my closest sibling. And I just feel oh, wow. like, yeah, I feel like between my family and my own education experiences, I was just poured into, I was poured into, um, and and I feel like that gave me like the confidence or the nerve, <laughs> if you will, yeah. to just try to, to aim high and, and go after what I think matters. I think uh, my own personal catalyst for change, if you will, yeah. was, was becoming a mother and, um, and becoming a mother to a child who's on the autism spectrum. Okay. And, and how much I had to learn and how much I had to navigate to get him the things that he needed um, and still needs and, and seeing how many other parents were in that same struggle with me and, right. and, you know, and saying, you know, this, this is not how it should be. And it's not how it has to be. Um, and I've been working, you know, he's 15 now and I've been working, you know, in service of that ever since. 
And and you when you talk about that, are you talking about particularly in education or in other places as well? I I think um, in all places, um, mm-hmm. you know. When I think about, you know, before your child ever enters school, I think about, you know, the struggles that some of us have, like people can't afford childcare. You know, I've been doing um, some work with neighborhood villages recently around yes. childcare as a social justice issue and how, you know, if there is not affordable and quality childcare, you know, most often the people that suffer are moms, are women, right. and, and that's a workforce issue. Um, and thinking about who's able to access our democracy. And oftentimes those are those are the people that are in the know and the opportunity cost for some of us is so high mm. that we never are able to access it. And so it's a combination of all those things. I grew up in a family that loves to vote. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, I grew up in a family that loves to vote. My parents are actually from Tuskegee, Alabama. Um, and so I, I don't even know where where this love for voting comes from, but I just know that I grew up with it. And so how did you know that they love to vote? Did they were they just were they always talking about politics and elections? And yeah, like that yeah. was a thing it was like, oh, wait, no, I can't go there. I have I got to go vote first. Like that was a thing. Like voting <laughs> yeah. was like an important thing to do. Um, and and talking about politicians or oh, who they hate, who they love, um, yeah. um, <laughs> how they feel about whatever it is. My mother was also um, a, is a union member. So she is a member okay. of SCIU. So my, <laughs> you're going to laugh. I think my mother loved to go on strike when I was a kid. She's like, we're on strike. And then so she's going after it. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's like, yeah, we got our dollar raise. And she was like excited about a dollar raise and that they went on strike for it. And so like, I grew, I grew up seeing uh, like my mom as this feisty woman and my older sister is the same. Um, one of my sisters in particular would always, she used to always go, I want to make sure you guys are cultured. And she would yeah. always just like- But take also us empowered, to- right? Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I, you know, as I got older, I realized that um, the experiences that are, I had weren't so common. Mm. Um, and, and I was Which like- Which experiences? All, all of them, to be honest with you, like, yeah. you know, as an adult, I see people who say, well, my parents have never voted. And I'm like, what do you mean? They've never voted. Right. Or like they, ne- they, like I grew up going to like the museums in DC and learning and going to African history museums. And, and, and I'm like, you didn't know that there were things that I took for granted, really. Like, I think I was a little naive um, about the opportunities and experiences that I was able to have. And, and even like kids in my same neighborhood, you know, I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood, um, mm-hmm. but my parents sent me to private school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't go to school with kids in my neighborhood. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. And so I would be like, you didn't know that, or you guys don't do that at school. And there were things that as I got older, I would realize that I was being exposed to things that other people who were around me, some, even in my own family, weren't. And did you, I'm, did you notice that that, did you, were you able to identify that as inequity at the time? Or I, I, I didn't have that word. I didn't have that yeah. vocab word, yeah. but I did. I was like, this, like, like, doesn't this seem right. Yeah. Right. It doesn't seem right. This seems right. off. Yeah. This seems off. I didn't have that word in equity, but I knew that it like, that's not quite right. So you, you at some point settled in Boston. Yeah. And you got very involved in advocacy when you and I first met was, yeah. which was before School Finder. You yeah. were you were already doing lots of advocacy work and organizing yeah, yeah. work. So yeah. so how did you get into it? 
I, I got into it when I had my son who was on the autism spectrum. Okay. Right. Um, it's, how, it's how I really came to advocacy work here in Boston. Because I'm going to be honest with you, me and my husband, I married my high school sweetheart, by the way. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and he went, to, he went to school here in Boston is how we ended up here. It's, it's close enough to home, but far enough away. And um, public school? No, no. We went to Kate. We, we actually went to kindergarten together, and then we went to high school. Partly to high school together. He, his, and my mother-in-law. I laughed. She goes, "I tried to separate you." She switched him to a prep school out of our Catholic <laughs> high school. Um, didn't stop us clearly. <laughs> well, it seems like it ended up okay. It ended up okay. It yeah. ended up okay. Um, and, you know, we kind of just thought like, hey, if the schools suck, we'll do what our parents did and just send our kids to private school. Yeah. Um, but having a child who's, who has special needs, like yeah. that wasn't an option for us. We right. weren't wealthy enough to say, hey, here's $50,000 to educate our child and give him what he needs. Right. And, you know, we were kind of forced to like figuring out how things work. But I realized as I was figuring that out, that I was better equipped than other people who had been born and raised in this city and mm. who had come up through, honestly, the public school system here to know how to just navigate things. And I was like, mm, that didn't sit right with me. And I found myself like talking with parents and like, you didn't know this or come with me here and, and let's right. do, and let's do that. And I ended up, um, founding an advocacy organization with some other great moms here called Phenomenal Moms. Right. Um, and Which is did, when you and I met. Yeah. And that's what, that's when we met. And, yeah. um, and we did a lot of work here around advocacy in, in Boston public schools and, and all of us, some of us had kids in not just Boston public school, but in charter schools and private schools as well. And we, and, you know, I was able to make a lot of great relationships with, with the district and, you know, with people in city hall and with, other parents through that work. And that really got me started doing that work here in Boston. Yeah. I have to say one of the yeah. things I admire about you is that you, um, your, your goals are always very positive and <laughs> the way that you work with people, um, makes them very receptive to oh, having conversations and to, and to working with you. And thank so you. you, it makes perfect sense why you were with the founding executive director yeah. of Boston school finder. Um, you already knew how to do that work. What did you learn while you were running this organization that was really trying to connect community mm -hmm. with the public school system and and enable much more transparency in in a in a district where there are a lot of very low performing schools. Yeah, and it's very and it's very complicating. Have complicated having to talk to lots of parents mm -hmm. to navigate and to really know and trust that yeah. you're child is getting the education that you want your child to get right I I guess what I learned was how deep um the the mistrust goes mm. here in Boston for people mm. who have historic ties to Boston when it comes to education I I learned how families are not feeling engaged and a lot of that comes from their own experiences uh, with mm -hmm. interacting with schools here. Um, and, and I learned how complicated, honestly, like our enrollment system is here. Uh, you know, especially, you know, it depends on, you know, when you're entering, but they're like, well, why can't I go to that school? It doesn't seem that far from my house, but there's this arbitrary rule that's set up that 
and explain right. to people about why you can only choose these schools or even, you know, a clear system as to define how, when, when, a, when the district says quality, when a state says quality, when a parent says quality, so those are all different they're and different measures, they're yeah. different measures. And so what does parents are just confused and frustrated. And honestly, they're, they're tired of a system that puts up so many barriers, um, right for them just to, to enroll their children in the role of their kids enroll can you their talk a little, yeah. yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, you, you talked about how, um, some of the mistrust comes from their own experiences in the yeah. same school system. And can you talk a little bit about what those were and are and, and why that kind of mm -hmm. perpetuates this negativity? Yeah. Yeah. So when I talk to, especially my friends who are like, uh, Boston natives, yeah. they'll tell you, man, this was happening when I was in school mm -hmm. and, and I'm not going to send my kid to that school. And there's this, this th when they say this, when they say this, it's like the, the curriculum is not preparing their, their children for mm -hmm. the, for their next level in life. They're not mm -hmm. being exposed to the, the rigor and the opportunities that will allow them to access all that Boston has to offer. You know, people think of Boston as a world-class city, but unfortunately, everyone who is here does not have access to all the amenities per se. It's, you know, it's like somebody got like the cheap package and somebody bought the platinum package and that's not how it should be, you right. know? And, uh, and they're just, they're, you know, and that leads to some parents saying, well, you know, I'm gonna try to put my kids in Metco I'm going to try to get my kids in a private school. I'm going to try to get my kids in a charter school because this school, this building literally looks almost the same as when I went here 20 years ago. So, so yeah. just to, to, you know, talk about that a little more in a little yeah. more detail, mm -hmm. what, what I, what I hear you saying is that all parents mm -hmm. across the city look at education mm -hmm. and the goals and objectives for their kids the same way, yeah. and, but that we don't actually have the same lens. That, there that there, right? That there's a certain privilege that allows for um, access, and mm -hmm. um, and just I think also like a vision into mm -hmm. certain certain things. That um, if you're if you're living in another part of the city, you just don't see how to access it, and 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 so there's it. We so your options don't seem as wide. Absolutely, and also Ab and also money plays yeah. into it. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you can like draw lines to like, like if you were a betting person, you could pick a neighborhood and you can pick a person and based on their neighborhood and their race, say mm -hmm. who, who's going to be able to, as a, you know, you can pick kids in kindergarten, who, when they grow up is going to be able to access, you know, everything the city has to offer. And you can make that bet, unfortunately, along neighborhood lines and along racial lines. And that's not how it should be. And people have experienced that their whole lives. And they see that honestly, if there has been any change, it's incremental and right. it's not enough to really um, put their child on the pathway to the success that they may have dreamed of for themselves, a dream that has been deferred right. or the success that they want to have for their, for their children. And, you know, you can, you can look at different races and neighborhoods and people can say, well, Hey, I have it harder than my parents. And that is true. But certain groups of us experience that at higher levels and have been for years. And, um, and it's time that that changes.
Right. How did, yeah. did, did, did Boston School Finder give you some clues um, into how that transparency could help and what other things could be done to help give parents the same platform, sort of, you know, an equitable platform across the city for accessing the right kind of education. And by the way, is there even enough of the right kind of education in the city right now in terms of too many kids who want great things mm -hmm. and too many schools and seats to provide those the, the, that great education? Right. So to answer this question, no, there's not enough of what yeah. parents want for their children. Yeah. And then it, so it, it makes this game where it pits families against families and neighborhoods against neighborhoods. Families say that, thank you for helping me figure out how to get around this complicated system. But the problem is the system. The problem is that there's not enough quality. And so it's not right. like saying, hey, I wanted the purple popsicle, but all they had was red. Well, you still got a popsicle, right? That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> it's like somebody right. got a popsicle stick and somebody got a popsicle. Right. And, and and people are saying, well, it's really hot and I need a popsicle. And they're like, well, we just have sticks. Maybe, maybe you can wait till winter and make some ice pops with that. You know, and families are appreciative um, of people helping them work the system, but ultimately people want more quality. And that's across the board. When you go across race and class, right. people just don't want to, to be stressed out about enrolling their child in school. Um, and, and if their expectations are going to be met and those are basic expectations, right. people, you know, people want their kids to learn how to read you know, people, right. <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't change. That doesn't <laughs> change where you live and who you where are. You, it's like those things do, don't change, but unfortunately they don't happen for everyone. And it's right. like, and it's, it's crazy to think about what, like, what do you mean that didn't happen in your school? Of course, the district knows. I think everyone knows. Mm. I, I think the problem is that that data and numbers haven't motivated change. And right. so ev everyone knows, and unfortunately, a lot of times the language that people uses puts blame more on families than on schools and districts. And some of that is that I think schools themselves need more support. Um, so sometimes when I've, I've talked to teachers a lot too, and teachers will tell you, you know, I was a teacher for seven years before someone actually, before I actually learned or someone taught to me or gave me the resources to actually help a child learn to read and to help a child learn to read who may be struggling to learn to read. And so right. we, you know, when you talk about the system, there's so many different cogs in it. So and that layers. goes, yeah, there's so many. And, yeah. you know, some, you know, some of that is that teachers aren't prepared. Mm -hmm. They can have all the goodwill they want, but if they don't have the goodwill and the skill, and the then training. there's a right, right. Yeah. Yes. And the train, then, then the kids don't get it. Right. Do you right. know? And so I think a lot of times we might have people who have great intentions without the proper tools and resources. Right. And the people who are impacted are students and families. So with your organizing hat on, mm -hmm. you co-founded March Like a Mother for Black Lives this yes. summer. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm really interested in this, right? Because mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, it's kind of, it's the side of you that is creating momentum yeah. and organizing. 
um, because it, it feels like it, it is um, incremental to your point about data isn't changing this, right? Yeah. And so we need some momentum and some um, force mm -hmm. to, to um, insist on change and to see that change through. And mm -hmm. it would, tell me a little bit about why you co-founded March Like a Mother for Black Lives and what the results have been so far of that initiative. Right. Yeah. So I co-founded that with my friend, Sarah Drisu, who's actually working in Congress right now as chief of staff for Jamal Bowen in New York City. Amazing. Um, yeah, amazing. And that was really, like I told you, my catalyst was becoming a mother. When I talk to moms, no matter what their background is, right. whether they're rich, whether they're poor, whether they're Black, white, Latinx, whether they're Indian, whatever they are, right? Yep. Moms love their children. Children are mom's catalysts. And so we were at a moment in this country of reckoning mm -hmm. that when you talk to moms, they were saying, I don't want, this is not the world that I want for my children. Right. And they wanted to know what can we do as moms, no matter where we come from and what we have to support moms. Yeah. And, and that moment, it was about black mothers or mother people who were uh, mothers to black children yeah. worrying about their children and losing their children. And so that was about all moms coming together in support of that cause. And there is a power in collective action. And when and I think the ultimate goal when you talk about advocacy and when you talk about organizing is to build allyship. Yeah. It's to build that 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 you know that connection across all those lines to say, hey this is a problem and whether it impacts me directly or not i am standing with these people i'm standing behind these people and we're all we have the same goal we're going towards the same um goal posts to make the world better for all of our children because if it's better for their children it's better for my children because we don't want our children in that world and i think you know i i was so i was so moved and honored by the diversity uh, and it, it was, it gave me such hope. Yeah. Um, the diversity of moms and families in general that came out, um, people right now will say, Hey, I didn't get to say this to you people who I'm meeting now, you know, I was, I was at your March or I streamed it and, you know, it was the highlight of my summer and yeah. people reach out to me, Hey, can, can I donate this to you? Can we do this? Can, you know, and, and we're really just building a, um, a cohort, a coalition of, of diverse moms who all agree that we have a problem in this country with race. We have a problem, you know, we, and, and the way we talked about it with uh, March at the Mother for Black Lives is like Black Lives matter all the time. Not right. just if someone gets gunned down in the street, they matter when our kids go to school. You know, we talked about the maternal mortality rate. Black women are dying when they're giving birth at a higher rate than other women. The United States doesn't do good on maternal mortality in general. No, that's a whole, and so that's something yeah. that all moms are are concerned about. Yeah. Um, but we were talking, you know, we were. It was a way to just really demonstrate this is what allyship looks like, um, and how to come together and support other mothers. Uh, you know, around an issue. And there's such power in, in motherhood. If you think about like um, moms against drunk driving, that was like a huge thing. 
And very um, effective. And very, very effective. Yeah. And so, you know, it, and right now we've been doing, I told you, we've been doing work with um, neighborhood villages around childcare and right. really bringing that to the forefront and saying, moms want to be a part of the workforce, but it's yeah. really hard when we have so many barriers to childcare. And so what are we going to do so we can have all this talent of mothers in the workforce? Well, you especially know? when they're the primary caregiver and the pri primary wage earner. Right. Absolutely. Often the case in the city. Of often, Boston. often, yeah. often. And so like thinking about the issues that are resident with moms and bringing them to the forefront with a diverse coalition of moms. And that work really uh, excites me on so many levels. Well, I know it does. And yeah. it's interesting, right? So you, so you worked, you worked with families and mm -hmm. with kids, helping them find the right links um, mm -hmm. for education. Mm -hmm. You co-founded March Like a Mother for Black Lives, mm -hmm. which speaks to all moms everywhere. And now right. you are launching Liberation Labs, which yes. I think is just, right? You're just yeah. creating more momentum in the same yeah. direction. So can you talk about what you aim to achieve with this new? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, venture. Yeah. so yeah, the, the theory behind Liberation Lab is that the family is the unit of change. And so, you know, like with March Like a Mother or with Boston School Finder or Phenomenal Moms, you know, and, and, and the most of the work I've done has been in education. And there's this, um, this term whole child that yeah. people use in education. And I wanted to expand on that to the whole family. Mm -hmm. If a family is thriving, then a child is thriving. Yeah. And also being realistic. I am a hopeful person, but I have to bring realism into there. Um, understanding that um, it's got, it's going to take work. <laughs> um, right. We, and, and also that the people who are impacted and experience this have the answers, but they need the support and they need to be invested in and resourced in. Um, and so, and they need to be able to actually have the agency to access our democracy. And so, you know, the thinking is, are you really liberated if you don't truly have the agency because there are systemic structures and barriers that make the opportunity to the opportunity cost too high to access mm -hmm. our democracy. And so what if we created uh, a, a, a network of people, if we created resources um, we're going to create a, what I'm calling a social justice social network. Uh -huh. um, so, so, so families as the unit of change can learn about our democracy, that we can pour into them to build their own leadership. Mm -hmm. And so they can organize because again, data doesn't change minds, but people do. Right. So they can organize and form allyships, you know, in their own communities and across community to work for the change that is good for all of us. And do you do that in part by creating a roadmap and saying, okay, structurally, here's, here's how it is today. Yeah. So here are the things that we're going to do in order to advocate for the things that we think are most important, whether that's showing up and testifying at school committee meetings mm -hmm. or um, uh, talking right. with city councilors or advocating down at city hall or whatever it right. happens to be. Is that, is it, but I would imagine ultimately the goal is to make it less, to, to create yeah. the oneness with those yes. entities so that absolutely it, it's um, a reflection more of what people want. Right. I, I'm going to borrow a line that Ayanna Presley says all the time. And she says, yeah. policy is her love language. And so the ultimate goal 
is for policy to actually reflect the values of the people and for policy to work in a way that works for the good of all of us, not just for some of us. And so we don't have to figure out you know, creative ways around systems, but systems work for us and how to bring people together to create that policy collaboratively, if you will, with the people that we've elected. I think of the work as accountability work in some ways. If I look at the work of like a Stacey Abrams or a Latasha Brown down in Georgia, yeah. they get people to vote. But this work is about you voted now what? Right. How do you hold people accountable? How do you create policy? How do you even just get an understanding of how policy currently works and bring your new ideas to maybe, maybe you'll get rid of how things work. Maybe you say, if we make these adjustments, it will work. But yeah. people need to be able to have a place where they can learn, get accurate information and network with other people who are interested and wanna to work together as well. And then there are some hard skills that I really want to teach people around organizing. It's a skill organizing. Mm. And but I want to I want to lower the entry barrier for people to be able to do that and to participate with it. I think this work is also lowering lowering that that opportunity cost to participate in our democracy so we can really create the, the world that we want. So now our mayor is yes. headed to Washington. So uh, yeah. this, this changes the dynamics that mm -hmm. have existed in Boston for a long time while you've been yeah. doing this work. And yeah. so what do, you, what do you think about um, the potential candidates for mayor? And, and as you're building this constituency, how will, like what sort of lens will you help them look through in assessing who is the right mayor to mm -hmm. act as a change agent, to collaborate with community, to really understand policy through their eyes? How are you thinking about assessing these candidates? Right. I think I think we'll take some of those those traditional things like, hey, let's create a survey together mm -hmm. that's based on what we hear from families about what's important to them and where and the issues and the areas and what changes they think need to be made. A lot of times I hear people talk about housing affordability. Mm -hmm. What does each candidate have to say about housing affordability? Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. does each candidate have to say about education and not just education in general, but the points of education that are important to you? What yeah. do each, you know, and really help people to really be able to dig into a candidate like, OK, I, I don't want you just to whisper something sweet in my ear. And as I heard a parent leader say, um, send me on my way, <laughs> you know. Right. So, <laughs> right. But well, what can you plan especially on around doing? education, yeah. right? Yeah. Around education in Boston, like I think about this is a. This is a really old, like to make an analogy or metaphor, um, it's a really old tree with really yeah. deep roots, mm -hmm. right? And like, and and re to make dramatic change in education in Boston, you have to unearth a yeah. whole bunch of those roots, like just dig them up, yeah, carve them out. Like you, if right. you want to plant something new and you want to make space for that, and um, how much? Just you have your finger on the pulse in this issue, yeah. you know? How much? How much are both the the residents of Boston? And, you know, these potential candidates, how much are they ready for in terms of making change? Because it's, it's dramatic, it's, the sort it's, of change that has to happen if we're going to give kids a fair shake in education. Right. So, so formally, we only have two declared candidates right now. Formally, yes. And formally. then we have a whole bunch of hearsay. <laughs> we have a whole bunch of hearsay, right? I know. Um, but I think, you know, speaking about some of the people, the, the two declared, I think, especially the two who have declared already, I, I'm hoping 
that because they declared when they didn't know what was going to be happening hmm. with our, our current mayor, I'm hoping that they have the will and the guts to dig up those roots yeah. and say, hey, this tree is bad. We got to plant something new. Yeah. And and I, I, I hope that that's, um, you know, an indication that they have mm-hmm. the guts to, to do that. And and whoever else jumps in the race, I hope that they have the guts to do that because that's what we need. And if this isn't the moment for that, I don't know what is the moment for that. Totally. I completely yes. agree with this. This yeah. is almost, you know, and this is so such a clean slate on yeah. all fronts. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. In a place where we can um, really start to soar, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So there are many people who listen to our podcast and Mm -hmm. who we talk with who, you know, are very interested in how change happens in Mm -hmm. the city of Boston or the state of Massachusetts. And they're going to be interested in your work. Mm -hmm. And how do folks who are interested in working on the issues and solving Mm -hmm. the problems that you're, you know, setting out to solve? how do they involve themselves? What, what do they do? Oh man. I think you connect with other people who are interested. They can connect mm-hmm. with me and call me. All right. Um, <laughs> absolutely. But you gotta, I don't think this work can't be done alone. Right. It, ha- it, it has to be done in partnership and collaboration. So always remember, find the, find your tribe. Find the people who say, hey, I want to work on this and then figure out what your part is to do um, and figure out what other people's parts are and how you support each other. Um, You know, no man's an island. Things don't happen in silos. And that's a problem why we are where we are. Things do work in silos now, but we need, that can't continue. Um, Like I everything is interconnected. It's like the circle of life. (laughs) Everything affects the, the, uh, something else. And so we have to be talking with each other. So I would tell them if something is important to you, it's probably important to someone else and find those people. And I'm I'm hoping with Liberation Lab and, and the systems that we create, it'll make it easier for those people to find each other as well. Right. Cause I do, I do worry that that is the, the part that you just mm-hmm. said about um, things being operating in islands is, yeah. is, is a big part of the problem. And so who would you consider allies in your work who are real momentum creators who are kind of like-minded oh. um, mm-hmm. either individuals or institutions who, mm-hmm. who you're planning on partnering with and aligning with in order to create real momentum towards, towards change. Right. I, I, I really say I work with almost anybody if they're, if they're working towards the cause. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the people that I'm, and, and this is not like an organized group of people, the people that, that I'm going to be working the most with are families, but I'm also mm-hmm. going to, I hope that I'll be working with the district mm-hmm. um, because that's where change is. I hope that I'll be able to work with city hall with whoever's running City Hall yeah. Um, yeah. At, after November, um, because that's where the change happens. You know, yeah. there are there are certain, pe- certain people have the power, if you will, even though, it, you know, to actually implement those policies. So um, that's what I hope to work with. When I think of organizations um, in the city, in the city, oh, there's there's so many. I don't want to leave anyone out. You, you talk a little bit about education. You think education should be considered a social determinant of health. Yes. Can, can yes. you just talk a little bit about that notion? Yeah, absolutely. So 
when we think about the reasons that education is important and it brings up so many emotions for people is that education is an indicator and it's a quality education is correlated with accessing the American dream. It's correlated with you saying, you know what, I want to be a doctor when I grow up or I want to be an entrepreneur when I grow up. It's correlated with saying, hey, I have a great doctor. It's correlated with, hey, I live in a great community. I live in a safe neighborhood. Right. Um, and so, and if we just, you know, when you think about the social determinants of health, other things, it's about the economics. It's about healthcare. And education is another another tool in that. If, if kids don't have, you know, equal access to quality, then they don't have the resources. They don't even have the opportunity to say, hey, I want to be a doctor, but no one taught me algebra. Right. You know, I, you know, I want to be a doctor, but no one taught me chemistry or I, I can barely read to understand things. I'm struggling just to say the words. Right. You know, it, it's, it's such a huge barrier. It's, it's, I don't know what's happening in legislation because nobody taught me civics. Right. I don't understand you know, it's, how it works. Right. Yeah. I don't know how right. it works and nobody cared to engage me because they didn't think I mattered. So as we move, um, hopefully through yeah. this COVID-19 crisis and, and towards recovery, um, is it a good time to really sort, sort of, um, make that notion more prevalent? I, I think the idea mm -hmm. that part of recovery requires a hard look at education in this yeah. country it, around the health and wellness of, of children. Um, right. Probably the timing couldn't be better. What, what do you think about how change will happen? Will it happen faster because of the crisis and because of the awareness that's created? Or will people get stuck trying to define what happened to us during the last year right. and not get out of our way, our right. own way? I'm hoping that this pandemic has created a sense of urgency that we have not had in the past. Um, but I think it's the job of something like Liberation Lab and the people and the work that I want to do to make sure that that urgency, that fire stays lit and that urgency and that we're vigilant because some people are in a hurry to get back to normal. I just want to go back to normal. Can we just do this? No, we can't. We cannot just go back to normal. We need to create a new normal. And um, I, so I, I'm hoping that it created an urgency. I think people at least are more open to talking about what's not yeah. working. And that's the first step. Yeah, that is the first step. You're right. Yeah. So if you play this out over the next five years, mm -hmm. what would you like to see shift or have shifted in the city of Austin, given the work that you're doing, given this yeah. new, um, I guess, very fresh face that Boston is going to have new leadership? Yeah a breath of fresh air, um, just generally with COVID, you know, kind of hopefully um, moving away. Kind of, yeah, yeah, exactly. What it, what is, what is five years from now look like for you and in, in your, yeah, in your, I, in, from a vision perspective? Yeah. I, you know, in five years, I would love for Boston to be a place where people could afford to live, where people aren't saying, you know, I had to move out of the city because I, I couldn't afford it. Mm. I, I hope it's a place where people um, are want to live in every neighborhood because every neighborhood is safe. Yeah. I, I hope it's a place where people say, um, oh, it doesn't really matter which school we get. We know it's going to be a great school. 
Yeah. And and they're not and they're not worried about those things. I hope it's a place where when kids graduate from public schools here in the city, mm-hmm. they say, oh, I'm, I'm going to college and I'm going to complete that. And I'm going to come back home and get a great job because I know there's there's so many great companies here and I'll have my pick of the city mm-hmm. um, if I could if I could have my dream and that everyone had. I mean, we have some of the best health care here in the city that. Mm-hmm that, you know, everyone had access to great healthcare and to healthy food that we don't have food deserts. That Mm. would be amazing to me that if every neighborhood had like healthy quality food, because that plays into health, you know, you you don't have to go to the doctor so much if we're eating better, hopefully and moving. So uh, that would be my dream for the city. And I know it's big and lofty and vague, but (laughs) <laughs> you know what though in one way it is for sure in yeah. another way um it's sort of simple right yeah. what you're talking about his oh I, I wish everyone could eat every day yeah. a, a healthy meals I wish everyone could trust that when they walk outside it's not dangerous right I, I wish that these are things that some people take for granted absolutely and, and absolutely. other people in the city um don't have access so, to it all absolutely. and so in that respect, Latoya, I don't think it's actually <laughs> too big an ask yeah. at all. We, we yeah. just need to support you and others who are really oh, yeah. helping organize the city around yeah. those sorts of visions to, yeah. to achieve them. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you very much for thank talking you. with me today on this momentous, incredible day. Yes, yes. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Latoya Gale, founder of Liberation Lab, an advocate for advantageous education for all kids. Here's the thing, education moves the needle and we need to worry about everyone's children. They are the future of America and we need them to be prepared to have intelligent debates, to consider both sides of any issue and to pursue solutions that take advantage of everyone's skills and abilities and move everyone in our city, states and country to a better place. I hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your friends. Have a great day.